All right, everybody, good evening. How we doing? Fantastic. Merry Christmas. I'm so glad you're all here. It's so weird to see everybody in coats. I didn't even know we had them. That's fantastic. Well, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm really glad you're here. Um, I, I want to share a few words with you today that I think God has shared with me to give to you. And um, I was thinking earlier today that I spent 16 years of my life celebrating Christmas without a single thought about Jesus. Um, I, I grew up in a church. I, my parent, my dad was an elder. I was a church rat growing up. But when I was 18, I was enlightened. I, I knew everything all of a sudden. I don't know how it happened, but suddenly I realized I didn't need a God because I'd rather be my own God. I'd rather make my own decisions. I'd rather decide what sins I want to follow and which ones I don't. And so for about 18 years, I became the God of my life. And, and I just ignored God and I kept doing my thing until I drove my life into a major ditch and realized I wasn't any good at being God. And that I seriously needed help. And despite my arrogance and despite my pride and despite all those things, I got to a moment in my life where I couldn't take another step forward because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I was faced with a potentially terminal illness. I, I was struggling trying to understand who I was and why I was here and looking for purpose. And the one thing I knew was I needed something. There's something in me. I was empty. I was missing something. I didn't know what it was. And I talked to other people and they said, yeah, I feel that too. I, I feel like sometimes it's, uh, I try to fill it with drugs or alcohol or women or, or pride or all those things. None of it works. I feel empty. Now, we'd never admit that to anybody. Uh, but when we're alone, when we're on our own with our God, nobody but him and us, deep down I knew something was missing. And what I was afraid of was it might be him. Because I didn't want to admit that I was one of those weak Christians who needed a crutch. But one night God met me. I, I thought if I could just learn enough about God that I could accept the part of him that I wanted to accept. And that wasn't how he decided to do it. The more I learned about him, the more I fell in love. And the more I fell in love, the more I realized his way was better than mine. And the more that happened, the better my life got. And I just keep coming back here every week sharing what I've learned from God. And inviting you to join us on the journey. Because it's a challenge when you're faced with your own mortality, everything changes. The year was 1865. William Chatterton Dix, who was a businessman in Glasgow, Scotland, suddenly came down with a very serious illness. A near fatal illness robbed him of his strength and he was bedridden for many months. And as he laid near his death, he began to reflect on his relationship with Jesus and the relevance of his faith and the faith that he'd grown up with. Now, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but it's amazing how a physical sickness or an illness or something that you have no control over can suddenly spiritually awaken you. You say, oh God, and then you realize you're actually having a conversation. How a lack of health can be God's way to bring greater clarity to what truly matters in life. God uses the time of acute weakness to bless the lives of others. Sometimes God has to let the circumstances of our lives shout in order to wake us up and get us finally to focus on him because we're so distracted. It's exactly what happened with William. 
as he was meditating on who Jesus really is, he wrote a poem. That poem was pretty much ignored for many years until somebody took that poem and put the music to the, uh, of the song Greensleeves to it. It became one of the most popular Christmas songs known, What Child Is This? What Child Is This? That's the critical question at Christmas, isn't it? What child is this? What child are we celebrating? What's so special about this child born to Mary and Joseph? It is without a doubt the most important question for you to consider tonight. What child is this? Tell me your answer to that question. I can tell you your future. Many people this week have asked me, are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready for Christmas? People ask that all the time. Do you everything ready? Are you ready for the big day? And if you're anything like me, the answer is no, of course not. I'm not ready. You may be here tonight thinking the most important question facing you is whether or not you have enough AA batteries or whether you remember to purchase everything and actually get it wrapped. They can seem like pressing issues, but let me just suggest to you that maybe God brought you here for a different question to consider tonight. A question that each of us in this room eventually has to answer. You see, God brought each of us here. You may not believe that. I didn't believe it either until it happened to me many times. God rearranged the world to get you here tonight. Every decision you've made in your life has brought you to this moment. The only time you can do anything significant is in the moment. I don't know how you got here. Maybe somebody promised you dinner afterwards or said we were giving away Christmas cars or I don't know. But I never feel like I'm ready for Christmas. There always seems to be so much to do. But I take comfort in the fact that Joseph, the Mary's husband, he was never quite ready for Christmas either. I mean, think about it. Joseph was engaged to be married with all the hopes and dreams and plans of a future with Mary. All of a sudden, those plans are interrupted and totally changed when he learns that his fiancée, Mary, is pregnant. And the one thing he knows for sure is he's not the father. You see, for Joseph, he knew he had nothing to do with this. So let's be honest. His first question wasn't, what child is this? His first question was, whose child is this? <laughs> Certainly wasn't his. Think about what he had to consider. Who's Mary really in love with? Who does she love more than me? Who's the father of that baby she's now carrying? You see, the screaming question for Joseph was, whose child is this? That's why the angel came to him. If Joseph is going to publicly accept Mary and the baby and endure all the ridicule and the social shaming that was going to come, he needed to know without a doubt the identity of this child. The only thing that mattered to Joseph that day, the only thing that would be pressing on his mind the very first Christmas was the true identity of the father of that baby. So to get Joseph ready for Christmas... God sends his messenger to tell Joseph who the child really is. Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, from God. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. She should have received the punishment of death. 
But as he considered this thing, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he'll save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke from sleep. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she'd given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Now we read this today and we go, oh, okay, all right, there's your answer. It's, it's God's baby, Joseph. God's baby. It's just his baby. Nothing to worry about here. Problem solved. But Joseph didn't have the blessing of hindsight. He couldn't embrace this child or celebrate the birth of this child or plan his life around this child until he personally accepted that God himself had impregnated Mary. This child was the long-awaited Messiah, the one that Isaiah the prophet had talked about. This was the God-man who came to earth. If Joseph could embrace that truth, he could handle anything that comes later. He's not going to have an easy life because of this child, but if he knows who this child really is, everything gets easier. It's the same with us, isn't it? We can't really celebrate Christmas until we can embrace the identity of this child. We don't believe until the Holy Spirit lights it up for us. The birth of this child was a supernatural, one-time miracle of God. It's hard to wrap your mind around. We would never accept this based on our own reasoning or our scientific principles, our natural understanding. That's why something like this is called supernatural. It's a miracle. Something that doesn't happen unless God does it. You see, the question of what child is this is always linked to whose child is this. You can't answer one without the other. None of us are quite ready to celebrate Christmas until we really know who this child is. So the next few moments, I want to share with you God's answer to that question. In verse 20, we just read that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, yes, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. Now think about this. You see, the Hebrew name for Jesus in Greek is Yeshua. Yeshua means Savior, or more, more literally, God saves. Joseph, with this name, is being told, this child is going to save people. He's not here to destroy us. He's not here to wipe us out. He's here to destroy us. You see, he's not against us. He's for us. This child is taking on human flesh in order to save us. Now think about it this way. You know if somebody's really for you, right? The people in your life that, man, they're just for you. You think about your relationships. You know that person has your back. If someone has your best interests in mind, you look for their eagerness and incredible sacrifices to meet your deepest need, and you know you don't deserve it. There are people out there that are just gold. These people truly care for you. They would do anything for you. 
They notice you're in trouble before you know you're in trouble. They see something's wrong before you know something's wrong. They know you that well. It's as if sometimes they know you better than you know yourself or better than you're willing to admit to yourself. Have you ever known somebody like that? Maybe a friend or a family member? You experience them reaching out to help you, and not because of what you've done, but often in spite of what you've done to them. But there they are. They can see you're in trouble, and they come, even if you don't want them to. It's called love. That's someone that you know. You just know that you know that you know that they're for you. You ever experienced that or long to experience that? Then you're getting a glimpse into the heart of God. God is our biggest fan. He is not only with us, he's for us. If you want to see what true unconditional love looks like, look at Jesus. Here is God himself and all the grandeur and bigness of his divinity. And he becomes small, a little child. A vulnerable infant. What's that saying to us? It says that in Jesus, he's 100% for you. He'll take on anything. He'll give up anything. He'll become anything if he needs to come to your rescue. He is Yeshua. He is God saves. He is for you. And he's for me, even if you're not for him yet. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who was imprisoned for his part in the assassination attempt upon Hitler. Writing from prison, he said, there was inside his cell that he had one of the best experiences in his life. Here I am trapped inside a cell. My only hope is for someone to come from the outside and rescue me. There's nothing I can do to get myself out. I need a rescuer. That's exactly what Jesus does when he shows up that Christmas morning. He comes to rescue us from the enslaving, imprisoning, separating problem of our sin. That's what we see. He'll save people from sins. Jesus came to deliver us from the very thing that makes us doubt his goodness. He he came to deliver us from the very thing that makes us want to turn away from him and ignore him and become our own God. He came to deliver us from that part of us that says, God, I don't need you. Or maybe I don't want you. You see, I realize sin's not a popular word, and we've kind of taken it out of our vocabulary. It's not what people want to hear. But it is the terminal disease we all have. The message of Christmas is that we were born with a genetic illness, a terminal illness that ends in death. We, we don't have and we can't make a cure for our condition. If we're going to be saved from our sin, something supernatural has to happen. Some miracle needs to happen. And this baby is that miracle. God sent our cure. He sent himself. If we're ever going to understand the meaning and the message of Christmas, we need to understand the mission of Christ. We can't leave the baby in the manger. That baby came to die for you and for me. I've noticed that in every Christmas story that you watch on TV, something happens that turns everything around. You notice that? The foggy storm turns Rudolph's liability into an asset. Unexpected visit of people from the past turns Scrooge into a generous man. 
Unexpected joyful hearts of Whoville changes the heart of the Grinch to finally love Christmas. In all these stories where love, there's typically something that happens that turns people's lives away from where they're going and has them look at life in a different perspective. There's often an unexpected moment of clarity that just changes everything. Maybe that's the moment for you right now. Maybe you spent your life being against God. You blame him for everything. Your life is miserable and headed nowhere. And perhaps his problem is you haven't really embraced the identity of this baby. He may be a savior, but you haven't allowed him to be your savior. You never understand. You never really thought that maybe he's for you. You never considered that maybe he came for you in love, even if you hate him. The truth is that Joseph had his moment of clarity after he considered what the angel said. It changed everything about his life. He now knew who that child was. It gave him the courage to make the hard decision to stick with Mary and to agree with God and to go forward. It took that decision to give us the courage to go forward into a life that makes no sense to us often. You see, we have to embrace the truth of Christmas that God is for us. Then we can handle anything in life. The Apostle Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us? All hell could be breaking loose in our lives, but because we know God is for us, we know somehow it's going to be okay. Deep down, he gives us a sense of peace. Deep down, we know that what's happening is somehow necessary, and it's okay, as long as God knows because he's for us. Now, I don't know what your concept of God is, but one thing I've discovered that many people who reject God never actually got their version of God from the Bible. The God of the Bible is the God of joy and happiness and gladness, the giver, source of everything good. John in chapter 10 says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The abundant life that Jesus talked about is not the abundance of your possessions. It's found in the abundance of joy, knowing that the God in heaven is for you. If you're here and you're exploring the claims of Christianity and you need to know one thing that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the world, every other religion or spiritual philosophy says that somehow you've got to pay a price to get to God. But only in Christianity do we hear that God did everything that was needed to pay the price to get to you. Every other religion says, essentially, you've got to die for God. Christianity says, no, actually, God has to come die for you. What child is this? He's God for us. And because of that, he came here to be God with us. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's quoting from the prophet Isaiah, who said that the virgin will conceive and bear a son and they'll call his name Emmanuel. You see, Christmas is not the beginning of the story. Often we look at it as Jesus came to earth, that's the beginning. No, Christmas is in the middle of the story. The story begins way back in Genesis when sin impacted our relationship with God. 
We're actually in the middle of the story where God promises to come and reunite us back to God. Christmas isn't just about a rescue, it's about a reunion. The reunion God has and wants with you. Several years ago, many of our military people and women were serving overseas, and I don't know if you've seen it when they come home. I cry every time I see these things. I may be the only one, but, but every time they come home, it doesn't matter. I'm a bawling idiot when I watch these children run to their parents. I can never watch these without crying, ever. There was one during the halftime of a high school football game, and one of the military families was chosen to go down in the middle of the field listen to the message that was being broadcast on the Jumbotron. It was a picture of their father who'd been serving in Afghanistan, and in the message he went on to explain to the crowd the sacrifice that a military family has to go through to be apart from their father for so long. The crowd was cheering for the family, and the father went on to tell his family how much he loved them and how much he did everything he could to be with them. And with tears in his eyes, he told his children, Daddy loves you and can't wait to be with you. And he said, today my prayer's coming true. Then out of the tunnel, this father comes walking towards his family, and you see the kids instinctively and immediately sprint to their dad. There's a moment when this incredible reunion occurs, and you could see the joy in the children's faces, and finally their father had come back home to be with them. We watch these videos, and we may not be able to put it into words, but we know something sacred is happening in those moments. You see, I believe that those moments touch the very heart of God, capturing God's desire to be reunited with his own children, how he longs to come here, how he longs for you and me and others to run to him. All the way back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve, after their sin, began hiding from God, there was God seeking them out to be with them and show them that he's still for them. The whole purpose of the tabernacle, the temple, in the Old Testament was God wants to be with us. He, he wants to be reunited with his people, and he has to deal with the sin issue. He begins the book of Matthew with Emmanuel, God is with us, and he ends the book with, Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. If you've been hanging around in Christian circles very long, you, you've heard this before, God is for you. And God is with you. One of the sweetest things about this doctrine is it teaches us that God is truly for us and with us. This God not only is deeply concerned about our world and our lives, but he knows what it's like to suffer. He's sympathetic and understanding. He shed tears. Jesus has wept. Have you been betrayed by a close friend? Jesus was betrayed for 30 coins of silver. You ever felt alone and forsaken? He was despised and rejected by men. You ever been abused? So was Jesus. You ever faced temptation? So was he. You ever faced poverty? He did. You ever faced challenges and trials? So was he. You see, so we love a God who knows us, who knows what it's like to be human, and the reason he knows is that he chose to come and be with us. Now, here's the hard part. One of the hardest things to understand or to accept is if Jesus is God, and he clearly claims to be, 
then you can't go around Jesus to get to God. Let me repeat that. Jesus is God, and he claims to be, and I believe he is. You can't go around Jesus to get to God. It's logic 101. You can't avoid Jesus and get to God. What child is this? This child was God for us and God with us. And then, at some point in our lives, we have to acknowledge that he is God over us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she'd given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. You see, Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Note that word, commanded. It wasn't a suggestion. He obeyed. He didn't consider what the angel said. He didn't say, hey, I'll think about it. He had to follow. He didn't go, oh, that was a crazy dream. I'll just ignore that. Or a nice suggestion, God, I'll just figure out how I want to handle this. No, he treated the Lord as king. He publicly identified with Jesus even when he knew it was going to cost him everything. We speak of Mary's faith and her commitment to God, but in every circumstance, Joseph was just as obedient. He's going to quietly divorce Mary. He he obeyed the angel. He obeyed and took his family to Egypt. Joseph knew that God is for us. He knew that God is with us, but most importantly, he knew that God is over us. He's king and we're not. He's on the throne and we're not. In the carol, What Child Is This? The lyrics say, The King of Kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. How do we enthrone him? In other words, how do we treat him as a king? We do what he says. We surrender to his truth, not ours. We take him at his word even when we don't agree with his word and even when that's going to cost us. We walk by faith in God, not in sight as we try to be our own gods. See, the real struggle with taking Jesus at his word and obeying him is that following Jesus always costs us something. That's what we see with Joseph. He knows it's going to cost him something. But God is over him. See, he didn't grow up and Jesus, this baby, didn't grow up and just earn the right to be king. He didn't win the vote. In the carol, what child is this? This this is Christ the king. He was born the king. Are you treating Jesus like your king? Taking him at his word? What child is this? He's none other than God for us, God with us, and God over us. There's one more thing. We've spoken about how you can't leave Jesus in the manger. His life was a mission, a mission focused on the cross, taking the wrath of God for us so we could live forever. But there can be a long time between accepting Christ as your Savior and your physical death that takes you to heaven. We live in a fallen world that rejects God, and because of that, rejects us. So God wanted his children to know one more thing about this child. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You see, if we would allow it, if we would allow Jesus to be our Savior, then he would also become God in us. We'd have a new birth experience. We'd have a spiritual birth with God as our Father, too. 
We become immersed in God, and we live forever with God in us as well. So the question that has to be answered by each of us this Christmas is the one that faced Joseph. Whose child is this? What child is this? You see, there's only two kind of people in this entire huge world. Those who trust that the father of this baby is God and those that don't. I have lived parts of my life in both camps. In my life, I've met God in terminal circumstances. I've experienced the health issue that brings everything into focus. I've wrestled with God over the identity of this child. Like millions of others have come to understand God's unconditional love for me. You see, I know that God is for us. I know that God is with us. I know that God is over us. And I know that because of my faith in Jesus, God is in me. And I wouldn't trade that for anything this Christmas. Two years after the incredible night of Jesus' birth, wise men showed up with gifts. You probably have heard they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was the present for a king, indicating that Jesus is God over us. Frankincense is offered in prayer to God, indicating that God is with us as we go through our day. Myrrh was a spice used for burials, indicating that Jesus was born to die, that he's God for us, and that one day God hopes to live in us. The wise men were ready for Christmas. Joseph was made ready for Christmas. Are you ready? If you can answer that question, what child is this? Then no matter how much buying and wrapping or batteries you still have to go get, go do it. Because you're more than ready. But if you're not, if you're not sure who this child is, Maybe you need to pray to somebody you've given up on. Maybe you need to pray to a God you're not even sure exists. And ask him to show you who this child really is. Not for me, not for everybody else here, but for you. I'm going to pray and then I want you to stand. We're going to join and we're going to sing in what child is this. Let's pray. God, I know that your story is hard to believe. I know because I rejected it for a very long time. God, I pray that people here who are on the fence, let's say, or who are debating or wondering what this really means, that at some point tonight when they're alone with you, when they're alone with their own thoughts, when nobody else is watching, that you'd begin to have a dialogue with them about who you are and why you came and how you've been longing to come home and you can't wait to see them run to you because you're with us, you're for us, you're over us. And it's possible you could be in us. An incredible, incredible gift for Christmas. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.